Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. What would you do? Someone came up with their iPhone and said, hey, I'm making a video for a school project. What does the resurrection mean to you? What would you say? What would Matthew say? Over the last several months, we've been looking at Matthew. What would Matthew have said in answer to that question? Well, you know what Matthew would have said? Matthew wrote his book, the gospel that we've just read from, He wrote it because he wanted to proclaim that Jesus Christ was the king and that his kingdom was still going to happen because he was going to come to establish it. You know, Matthew was writing to Jewish believers who lived about 30 years after Jesus. Now, most all of us are, are Gentiles, and even if we're somewhat Jewish, maybe have a little bit of Jewish blood in us, most of us are so Gentile in our thinking We don't sit and think like they thought. But can you imagine 30 years after Jesus died, was buried, rose from the dead, went back to heaven, you were raised to think, hey, there was a Messiah. And there's the Messiah was supposed to come and he was going to establish a kingdom and things were supposed to be getting better. And their world, just like our world, was getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And they're saying, what's the deal? I mean, did Jesus really die for our sins? Did Jesus really take control? I mean, he came on the scene saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which I think means it's right there. Where is it? And so God, the Holy Spirit, led Matthew to write this letter, this gospel, to tell the story of Jesus one more time because by this time Mark's already told it, Luke's already told it, enough already. We got two stories. John's going to take another 10 years before he'll write his story, but Matthew is led by the Holy Spirit to write, particularly for these Jewish believers that were struggling over the fact that was Jesus really the Messiah? Was he really the king? And this kingdom that I grew up dreaming about, hearing about, you know, every time I read the Old Testament, it always tells me about this kingdom. Where is it? And that's what Jesus, what Matthew wrote all about. And the answer was, you know what? Jesus really was the king. He really was the Messiah. And he's coming back to bring his kingdom. You know, well, that raises a question that those readers ask, that today readers ask, and that is, why should we believe that Jesus, you know, what Jesus said? Jesus was saying, I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. I'm going to come back and establish this kingdom. Yeah, they're rejecting me. They, in fact, are going to crucify me. And here, Jesus really was crucified. But I'm coming back, and I'm going to establish that kingdom. Well, how do you know? You know how you know? 
the resurrection. You see, about halfway through Jesus' ministry, when it became apparent that he was not making it in the polls, that, that you know, the, the ignorant people, the naive people, the desperate people, they all believed him, but the educated people, the people like us, you know, that finished high school, that even got a chance to go to college, that make a little bit more than the average person, you know, us intellectuals, and, you know, there's even some people here that had a seminary course or two, so we're even, you know, cut above you guys even, you know. I mean, we know this guy's just one of those weird preachers, and, you know, he's not to be believed. In fact, do you remember what they said? He's doing all of these tricks. He's making the blind see. He's making the lame walk. He's making the deaf hear. He's taking the leprosy and making him clean. And he's doing it all how? In the spirit and power of Satan. The guy is an agent of Satan. He's demon-possessed. You can't believe him. That's what people in our social sphere were saying about Jesus. And so about halfway through his ministry, and it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus, they, they came to him and they said, hey, show us a miracle, Jesus. And they weren't asking because they really needed one more miracle. And then, oh, okay, we'll change our total mind about you. We'll stop thinking that you're of Satan. He knew it was just a test. And so what did Jesus say? I'm not going to show you guys one more miracle. So he never did another public miracle. He said, you're going to get one more miracle, and that's it. You remember what it was? He called it the sign of Jonah, the resurrection. In the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the well, three days, three nights, I'm going to die, and on the third day, I'm going to rise. Everything was based on the resurrection. And so Matthew was hinging his whole argument, his whole message on what we're celebrating today. I mean, think about it. Everything that we believe hinges on if there was a resurrection today. Everything. Is there a God? I think there is. Well, Jesus said there was a God. Well, how can I believe God? Jesus. He rose from the dead. I mean, it seems like all of history is moving in a, a purposeful direction, almost as if there's some intelligent designer that's kind of behind it all. Well, how do we know that? Jesus said that was true. Well, how, how can we trust Jesus? He rose from the dead. I mean, Jesus even talked about how he was going to be the sacrifice that would take away the sins of the earth. I mean, you know, the sins of all humankind. I mean, here we are. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Mama's a sinner. Daddy's a sinner. Everybody a sinner. And every once in a while, we sinners feel guilty about our sin. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to take away those sins. I'm going to actually give to God what God needs so that you can have forgiveness for your sins. Well, that's a nice thought. How do I know it's true? Jesus rose from the dead. Everything. I could keep going on and on and on. Everything we believe. The whole reason you're here 
instead of at the golf course, instead of out for, for brunch, instead of re- getting ready to watch the Masters, for those of us that are into golf, the whole reason you're here is because you believe, you're banking on the fact that there really was a resurrection. Because if there wasn't a resurrection, you guys ought to go over there and see if you can get your money back. That's where we keep the offering, by the way. You, you, you definitely ought to get online and stop that automatic trek draft that uh, we, is some of you do. I mean, and you definitely shouldn't come back because you all look like you got, if you guys are really having trouble finding friends, I can tell you how to find friends better than here. I mean, if you're here for any other reason other than the fact that you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're kind of wasting your time because if the resurrection didn't happen, we should go elsewhere. That's what Matthew's saying. And Matthew is saying, the reason I can believe that Jesus Christ was the king, the reason I can believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the reason I can believe that he is still coming back and establishing a kingdom is because of the resurrection. So here's what I want you to do. Go back to that passage I looked at, that I read to you, Matthew 28. And here's what I want you to notice. And I'm just going to point out three or four things, because you guys know the story. You guys could have told the story. Some of you probably could have quoted the story to us. Here's what I want you to notice. That as Matthew is telling this, he's proving Jesus really rose from the dead, and therefore he really should be believed and obeyed. That's what the resurrection is all about. Jesus is telling the truth, and so therefore we ought to believe what he said, we ought to do what he told us to do. That's the resurrection. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, why would I obey him? Why would I believe what he had to say? But you know, this story, you know, this so familiar story is just told in such a way to help the skeptics realize this thing really happened. You know, we didn't read it, but look back at chapter 27 at the very end. You know, after Jesus died, it says they buried him. Chapter 7, verse 57 says, And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, a guy named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. And he came and he asked Pilate, Hey, can I have his body to bury it? Verse 59. Pilate, or Joseph, took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, laid it in a new tomb, and look at verse 61. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary, sitting opposite the grave. You know, some people say, well, you know what, those women went, and you know women. You know, they are a very sexist society back then. You can't trust them. Can you trust a woman to get the directions right? No, they were there. Matthew is saying they knew where he was buried. So early in the morning, in Matthew 28, verse 1, when they're on their way to the tomb, they didn't go to the wrong tomb. They went to the right tomb. The tomb was opened up, and it was empty. And just the very fact, too, I mean, it's women 
that are telling the story. Now, anyone that is trying to fabricate a story, anyone that wants to have some really credible eyewitnesses, again, in that society, such a, uh, uh, a prejudiced society, if you will, sexist society, you'd never have a woman be your star witness because women aren't believable in those days. And yet, what does Matthew have? He doesn't have one woman. He's got two women. And he says, they're the ones that saw it. All the men, well, you know, we backed up to chapter 27. They fled. They weren't even there till the end. Only Mary and the other Mary stayed all the way to the very end. They're my key witnesses. Because men were the ones that were trustworthy and women weren't the way that weren't trustworthy. The very fact that Matthew is keying everything on on these women's testimony, eyewitness testimony, isn't because he was dumb. It's because it is so true. You backwards male chauvinist pigs can even believe the testimony of women because they got it right. Because in God's sovereignty and God's providence, he showed himself to them first. See verse 9. After they had been at the tomb and they saw the angels, they're on their way back. They go finally go tell the guys who were too lazy to get out of bed and go check out the tomb. Jesus appeared to them. And all throughout this story, I just pointed out a couple things here. Matthew is telling it in such a way to prove that it really happened. Why? Because everything rests on the resurrection. If Jesus rose, you better believe him and you better obey him. If Jesus didn't rise, go home. Get your money back. Figure out something else to do next Sunday morning. It all depends on the resurrection. Let me point out one more thing from Matthew, and, and he's got lots of them here. But let me just point out one more thing. Look at verse 11. See, in Matthew's day, a whole bunch of people were just saying, oh, they came and stole the body, and, you know, that's what the soldiers have been saying. He tells us the whole backstory of what happened, and he doesn't even bother to answer it because it is just so foolish. Look at verse 11. Now, while they were on their way, the women were on their way to tell the guys, behold, some of the guards came into the city and they reported to the chief priest all that had happened. Now, just think about it. I mean, they came to the chief priest and they said, hey, you know what, there were angels there. And the stone was moved and the tomb was empty. I mean, the guy said he was going to come back to life, and the tomb's empty. I, you know, go figure. You know, this guy, they, they went to the, the, the chief religious people, and what did those guys do? Look at verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and the councils together, they, can't, they gave a large sum of money to these soldiers. Now, these probably were their soldiers, not Roman soldiers, because Roman soldiers They'd have been killed or executed for this, but Jewish soldiers could get by with just a lie and a big, bank, and a big uh, bribe check. Here's what you're to say, verse 13. You are to say, 
his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. How do we know what happens while we're sleeping? Well, you figure it out, but that's our story, and we're sticking to it, and we're keeping our money. And if this one, if this should come uh, to the governor's ears, they said, we'll vouch for you. And Matthew says, they've still been telling that story, even among the Jews, to this very day. What's Matthew's point? Matthew is proving that the resurrection happened because it really did. And therefore, Jesus should be believed and Jesus should be obeyed. You know what I always like to do at the end of a sermon? I always like to ask the question, so what? How am I supposed to respond? What difference does this make in my life? What difference does it make in your life? You know what? I didn't even have to, to be creative today. Because Matthew tells us so what. And in reality, this is the whole reason he wrote his book. This is the whole reason he wrote his book. It was because... He wanted us to go be a disciple. And he wanted us to go make disciples. Look at it. Verse 16. The 11 disciples, well, they proceeded to Galilee. Did you notice way back in verse 7? What did the angel say to the women at the tomb? Go tell the guys he's, a, he's alive. And he'll meet him in Galilee. Look at what Jesus said to them in verse uh, 10. When Jesus met the women, and they were on their way back to see the guys, go tell them I'm alive, and I'll meet him in Galilee. Now, Jesus, he was alive for another 40 days before he ascended back to heaven. Why was it of all the things that he was going to do during those 40 days, Matthew felt compelled to, to remind them, that Jesus said, I've got an appointment with them in Galilee. Remember, Galilee is way up north, 90 miles north of Jerusalem. It's kind of where Jesus grew up. It's where Jesus spent the first year of his public ministry. Galilee was hometown, important place. We're going to rendezvous up there because I've got something I want to tell you. One more thing I want to tell you. And Matthew includes it. Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some were a little doubtful. Some were a little afraid, a little hesitant. But look what Jesus said. Verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Guys, I'm it. All of history revolves around me. you got to obey me. I rose from the dead. I rose from the dead. All authority has been given to me. Verse 19. So go make disciples of all nations. You know what? You can't make disciples if you're not first a disciple. So Jesus is already assuming his 11 Remember, Judas is out of the picture now. 
their disciples. But here's the question for us. Are we disciples? Yeah, this word disciple, it isn't just a believer in Jesus. I mean, there's tons of people that probably are saved that believe in Jesus. That, that believe he rose from the dead, believe that his, his payment paid the penalty for sin, and they got their ticket punched to heaven. But this, 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 this is a, 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 a higher calling. I want you to be a disciple. The, the, the Greek word is mathiton. We, we get math from it. It, it is a person who learns and can work with the information to produce. That's what a disciple is. It's not just someone that is, has believed and it's like, I'm in. It is someone who is really part of the team and is working the system. Look down at verse uh, uh, 20. When he told him to go make disciples. Well, in verse 19, he said, I want you to baptize these people. I want these people to identify with this new God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to observe all that I commanded them to do. That's what a disciple is. So here's the first, so what? Are you a disciple? I'm pretty certain you believe in the resurrection. I'm pretty certain that you're here because you believe that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died, was buried, rose again. And, and I, I hope, but if, if not the case, I hope you know that that means he paid for your sins. That through simple faith and trust in him, you can have eternal life. And if you don't know that, I mean, that, that's the first thing I'd love for you to know today. You, to, to believe in him, to express faith in him, to trust in him, to become a new creation in him. But I'm, I'm kind of betting that, that most of us here have done that. But the question I want to ask is, are you really and truly a disciple of Christ? Since you believe in the resurrection, since you believe that all authority was given to Jesus, are you really a disciple of Christ? Are you living like a disciple of Christ? Do, do you understand and know what he's told you to do and you're actually doing it? You're believing it? You've allowed the, the truth of God's word to kind of reprogram your mind and you're not really looking at the world from a secular standpoint you're looking at the world from a godly standpoint are you a disciple what do you do since you believe in the resurrection well if you're going to do the logical thing you're going to be you're not just going to believe in it you're going to make it your life i mean it is it is not just going to affect Sundays, it is going to affect Mondays through Saturday. It is, it's going to determine how you teach those kids that you're going to teach tomorrow if you're a school teacher. It's going to determine how you program that computer if you're a programmer. It's going to determine how you deal with those clients that you're trying to sell to. 
if you're a salesperson. It's going to depend, it's going to determine how you live Monday through Saturday, not just what you do Sunday mornings. I mean, a disciple is someone who is all in. What we like to say around here is a disciple is someone who is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And that affects their marriage, that affects their their mentality, that affects their thought life, it affects what they look at on the internet, it it affects how they handle the money that's in their pocket and in their bank account and in their trust funds. Everything, everything is filtered through Jesus. That's what a disciple is. The first application of the resurrection, according to Matthew, if someone came up to him with their iPhone and said, hey, I'm making a video on what the resurrection means to you. Well, it means this, it means that, it means this other thing. Hey, Matthew, what would you say it means? It means you should be all in with Jesus. Are you all in with Jesus? It it, it is a day-by-day thing. But every day, every hour of the day, no matter what we're doing, we ought to be all in. That's what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And you know what the next application is? It's really what Jesus gave to these 11 who already were disciples. Then go make them. And so here, here, here's the second question I've got to ask you. Is what are you doing to help other people become fully devoted followers of Christ? What, what are you doing to help a person come to know Jesus Christ more fully? You know, many, many of us, we're around people that don't know Jesus Christ at all. They kind of got the, the, you know, the popular version of him. Many of them will have been in church today, but tomorrow, I mean, it's just real obvious that they're not placing their faith and trust in him. They, they were here, or they were at a church today, but they're unbelievers in reality. What are you doing to help that person become a believer? What are you doing to model that faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Maybe they have trusted Christ. What are you doing to help them? Are you pouring yourself into others? See, one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples, but it was actually the only thing that Matthew recorded, this, this tax collector turned disciple, this tax collector who, whose life probably changed more than any of the other 12. This guy that had totally sold out to Rome against his own people now become the most vocal preacher for the fact that Jesus is the king, the Messiah, his kingdom that is going to uh, endure when he comes. What was it Matthew wanted to tell people? Be a disciple and go help other people become a disciple. Is that the passion of your heart? If you believe in the resurrection, and I think you do, if you believe in the resurrection, 
the logical consequences are you're going to believe Jesus and you're going to obey Jesus. And what was one of the last things Jesus said? The only thing that Matthew even told us about, all the other ones we've got to learn from Luke or Paul or Mark or John, the only thing Matthew told us about was to go make disciples. You parents, what are you doing to help your children become a disciple? You spouses, what are you doing to help your spouse become a disciple? You, you, you friends, what are you doing to help your friend become a disciple? Matthew said, help them to come to understand. Teach them to observe all that Jesus Christ taught. The resurrection. It's everything. Everything Jesus told us to do rests on it. You can believe it. It's a fact that is, that is so provable. And yet the question we've got to ask ourselves is, so what? What am I doing with it? Is it just something to get excited about once a year on Easter? Or is it something that is driving me every day of the year? Go be a disciple and go make disciples. That's the proper response to the resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what today represents. The victory over the grave. The reception of uh, the acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice for us. Uh, Father, today what we focused on is just the practical side of actually being someone who is all in and fully devoted to Christ. I pray, Father, we'd be that kind of people. I pray that our hearts and minds would really be all for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for again for the sacrifice he made for us. And I thank you for the acknowledgement that you accepted that sacrifice. He rose from the grave. And so, Father, today as we celebrate that, I, I pray, Father, that our lives would, would truly be different because of what Jesus Christ did accomplished. It's in his name we pray. Amen.